don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now. Because I've been to the mountaintop. And I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over. And I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know the night that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. In case you missed the first part of that video, Dr. King was assassinated the day after he made those remarks, 52 years ago yesterday. I've been to the mountaintop, he said, and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but we as a people will get there. And while I'm certain that African Americans as a people have still not gotten to the promised land King envisioned in that speech, it's King's faith, it's King's vision that I want us to sense and to see this morning. For in a very real sense, he displays something we see in Jesus in uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, the ability, the, the choice to entrust himself, to entrust his future to God in the midst of anxious and trying times. So this is now our fourth Sunday of what has been inaptly named social distancing. I prefer to refer to it as physical distancing. The predictions of what the coronavirus might do to us and to the world seem more dire with each passing day. And yet, and yet, I do see glimmers of light that pop up here and there. Stories of hope. We, we have to be careful in, in naming these things, of course, as we dare not diminish the tragedy of lost lives, lost jobs, or, or the impact such fear and anxiety and hardship have or can have on us and on those we love. Now, whenever I'm facing difficult times or loss in my own life, my spiritual director often asks me, where do you see God in these things? Where do you see God? And so I think it is a good thing that we look for God in the midst of our pain, while in no way diminishing that pain or grief or anxiety. Finding stories of good in the midst of these challenges is healthy for us. These, these stories remind us of, of what we can be and of the image of God that is within us all if we dare look deeply enough. And I need these stories. We all need these stories. These stories give us hope or remind us of the hope we have, perhaps. Ultimately, of course, our hope as people who know God, as, as people who seek to follow Jesus and strive to pursue God's purposes in the world, our hope is found in the reality that God is still on his throne and that our struggles, our suffering, and our loss do not derail the purposes of God. And in fact, God can even use these things to accomplish his purposes. That, that doesn't mean God caused these things, but that God can use them. And that's a very different thing. And so our good news this morning, this week, is this. 
No matter how difficult the journey or how uncertain the future, we can entrust ourselves to God. No matter how difficult the journey or how uncertain the future, we can entrust ourselves to God. This morning we enter into Holy Week. Today is Palm Sunday, as you heard earlier. It is, as we said a few weeks ago, often celebrated as Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. But for him, for him, it's more like a death march. Though that will not be the end of the story. Resurrection Sunday is close behind. But still, it would be inaccurate for us to simply say that it was no big deal for Jesus to go through what he went through since he knew he would rise again. It was a big deal. It was a crisis. And even for the Son of God, the thing that would help him to endure the suffering is the time he spent in prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. The name Gethsemane, by the way, means oil press. It refers to the crushing of the olives, an apt metaphor for the anguish of Jesus' soul that night. For it is in this place that he will cry out to the Father God that this cup of suffering and wrath might pass from him. It is in this place that his disciples will fail to keep watch. They'll fall asleep. They they won't stay with him in prayer. It is in this place that Judas will hand him over to a crowd armed with swords and clubs. Nevertheless, Jesus knows that no matter how difficult and uncertain the future, he could entrust himself to the Father God. When Jesus is faced with the hardest thing we can imagine, he does exactly what we should do. He prays. And what I want to do for us this morning is look at five characteristics of Jesus' time of prayer. Five characteristics from which we can learn this morning. And these five characteristics have something to teach us in all of life, and more especially in this current season of loss, fear, anxiety, and uncertainty that we, that we find ourselves. After Jesus has shared the Last Supper with his disciples and has predicted Peter's coming denial, we read this over in, uh, I'll get the Bible right set up here in just a minute. We read this over in uh, Mark chapter 14, verse 32 to 34. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. So the first thing I want us to see here is that Jesus was deeply distressed and troubled. He was deeply distressed and troubled. And and that he described in his, his own soul, he described in his own words as being overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. It's important. Even for Jesus, it's important to name his experience, his feelings, his sorrow. And we too can be sorrowful. We too can... Grieve. We too can be angry and honest about what we feel and what we experience, that we're anxious, that we're fearful. We do not have to pretend that everything will be okay. I mentioned earlier the attempts that we're all witnessing these days of people doing their best to find a silver lining in these things. And to be sure, there are such things as silver linings. But some things I've seen just aren't true. So, for example, for one thing, the signs that people have put up saying everything will be okay. Now, I'm not trying to be critical of their intent. We need their intent. We need their optimism, their hope. I I simply want to say that everything will not be okay. Everything will not be okay. The key word being everything. Perhaps a better way to say it would be to say, we're going to get through this. Or we're in it together because we will and we are, friends. But everything will not be okay. There will be pain, there will be suffering, there will be loss. And you and I and all of humanity need the freedom to name that reality, 
to name those fears. Whatever we are experiencing, whatever we are feeling, even if it doesn't sound that much like true faith to us, it's okay to express this. Jesus does this, and so can we. The second thing, the second characteristic I want us to notice is that Jesus Jesus did not seek to do this all by himself. He invited others along with him, Peter, James, and John. And I think there are at least two reasons for Jesus' inclusion of these three disciples. First, it is certainly true that Jesus is training them to lead when he is gone. They they need to be a part of this process. They need to learn to pray in this crisis. They, They need to learn to keep watch and to stay awake, as he warned them back at the end of chapter of Mark chapter 13. But Jesus also desires their presence in prayer with him because to be human is to need community. To be human is to need community, to flourish in community. And once again, if Jesus needs community in times of trial, so do we. I don't know about you, but one of the things I'm learning through this pandemic and the restrictions we now have in our lives is that I have taken community for granted. I have taken people for granted, even people with whom I haven't always had the best relationships, honestly. We need one another. We need one another. And times like this remind us of that reality. We are are not expected to walk this or any other road alone. We walk, of course, with God's Spirit. And we walk with one another as sisters and brothers in Christ and as fellow human beings of other faiths or no faith at all. Human flourishing requires community. Verse 35, going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once again, this is is not serene and peaceful Jesus in prayer. This is Jesus stumbling and staggering and falling beneath the weight of what was before him. This is perhaps the most authentic picture of Jesus as fully human in all of the Gospel of Mark. This is a Jesus with whom you and I can identify. You know, the last time I preached this passage from Mark 14 was 12 years ago. And like most preachers, I look back at old sermons and I go, oh, I think I would say it differently this time. But in in that sermon, I told you about a, a framed print that I had encountered once upon a time. A print of Jesus kneeling in prayer in this passage, kneeling in the garden, lifting his eyes toward heaven, looking rather peaceful about the whole experience. And then at the bottom of the print was the phrase, borrowed from another place in scripture, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Now, at the time, I found this both amusing and sad. The use of that particular verse with this scene was completely out of context. I've also said on more than one occasion that this scene of Jesus in Gethsemane in prayer is probably the most powerful example we have of prayer that is not answered. Jesus didn't get what he asked. Jesus didn't get what he asked. But I'm rethinking that. I'm rethinking it. In one sense, it is true that Jesus does not get his prayer answer. The cup does not pass from him. He, he will be arrested. He will be tortured. He will be put to death. He doesn't get what he asked for. But it is also true that his prayer is answered. Why? Because Jesus offers the Abba Father God another option. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Not what I will, but you will. Jesus offers God 
a, a secret trap door by which he doesn't have to grant the request. This reminds me of a famous scene from the book of Daniel. When King Nebuchadnezzar has three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, brought before him, he threatens to throw them into the furnace, and, and he asks them then, what God, are they going to be able to, is, what God is going to be able to rescue you? And they reply to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve will be able to deliver us from it. And, we will, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, but even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. There are a couple things to note here. First, Jesus speaks the truth about God in prayer. Everything is possible for you. Back in chapter 10, verse 27, after Jesus had, had warned his followers that it was hard for the rich to enter into the kingdom of God, and his disciples were shocked by this, Jesus added, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. It is true that God could have done this another way, Jesus seems to be saying. It's true that he could have done another way. But Jesus, in his humanity, allows that God is sovereign, that, that God truly knows what is best here. And so Jesus practices the spiritual discipline of relinquishment. Jesus practices the spiritual dis, dis, uh, discipline of relinquishment. Not unlike Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But relinquishment is not resignation. Relinquishment is not resignation. It's not giving up. It's something else. Catherine Marshall Marshall once wrote, Resignation lies down in the dust of a godless universe and steals itself for the worst, while relinquishment says, I choose to believe that God has a solution. I want you to hear that again. Resignation lies down in the dust of a godless universe and steals itself for the worst, but relinquishment says, I choose to believe that God has a solution. Resignation gives up in despair. Relinquishment lets go out of a trust in God, a trust in his love, his wisdom, his, his, his holy activity, his plan in our lives. Jesus isn't giving up here. He is relinquishing his desires. He is giving them over to the wisdom and the sovereignty and the love of God. And that is another lesson we would do well to learn from Jesus. Ask for everything we can possibly ask for. Yes, make your requests known, but also trust God and trust God's goodness enough to let go of these things once we've made our request to God. Practice the spiritual discipline of relinquishment. It draws my mind back to the passage from Philippians 4 that I preached on when all of this coronavirus stuff started for us. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let us imitate Jesus in this. Let us make our requests known to God passionately and boldly, but let us also relinquish those requests to God, choosing to believe that God has a solution of which we may be unaware. Verse 39. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough! The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Apparently, it is possible to practice trust and faith in God enough to truly relinquish our requests and situations to Him and 
to still persist in asking. Jesus seems to let go of these things in verse 36, but he goes back and prays the same thing in verse 39. He apparently prayed this three times. Jesus shows us that it is possible to let go of something and to hold on to it at the same time. What are we to do with that? We are to roll with it. We are to claim it. I don't know about you, but I can certainly have similar responses to the, to the distress of unanswered prayer. Sometimes I can leave things with God, and sometimes I come back and I ask the same thing again and again and again, and that's okay. That's okay. Both of these things are, in their own way, both of these things are faith. Persistently asking for God for something shows faith, as it did in the parable of the persistent widow over in Luke 18. There, you may remember, a woman repeatedly crying out to a judge for justice is, is Jesus' image of prayer and faith. And as Jesus' prayer of relinquishment in Mark 14 and Paul's words in Philippians 4 teach us, letting go of things is also a way of practicing faith. If we feel that we sometimes give things to God and then take them back again, is it too much to ask if Jesus may have done the same thing here in Mark 14? And if so, aren't both of these ways of faith and prayer good and right? I think so. I think so. We do not find Jesus teaching us the Lord's Prayer in Mark's Gospel. We do see it enacted in Mark 14. Though Jesus persistently asked that this cup be passed for him, though he acknowledged that all things are indeed possible with God, in the end, he yields to the will of the Father God. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Ultimately, of course, Scripture promises us that the purposes of God will win out over all else. So, for example, in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14, and in a few other places, we are promised that one day, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in the Apostle Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 3, he speaks of a time when God will, quote, restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. In Colossians 1, 19 to 20, the Apostle Paul tells us that, quote, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him in Christ and through him to reconcile himself to all things. Or consider Paul again in Philippians 2, where he says that one day at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Likewise, in Revelation eleven fifteen, we are told of a time when the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. And then in Revelation, again, 21, verse 7, we know that one day God will dwell with us as never before, and he will wipe every tear from our eyes. In the end, in other words, God's kingdom will come. God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How shall we respond to this good news that no matter how difficult the journey or how uncertain the future, we can entrust ourselves to God? What does it mean for us to say, no, everything may not be okay, but at the same time to say that in the end we can trust God and we can trust that one day He will put all things to rights? To my mind, the best and simplest way to respond to this good news is to pray as Jesus prayed in this passage, to follow His example. What do we learn again? about Jesus' way of prayer in this passage. We learn that we can be honest with our feelings and experiences. We can be honest with our fear, our anxiety, our stress. And I would add, we can even be honest about our doubt. 
We learn that we need to be supported and support others in prayers, that that community matters in prayer. We learn that choosing to relinquish our request to God is an act of faith. We learn that boldly and repeatedly bringing those same requests to God is also an act of faith. Finally, we learn that ultimately the reason we can entrust ourselves in all of the uncertainty we are experiencing over to God is because we know, we know that God has a plan. And we know that God's plan has not been derailed. One day, God will dwell with us and we will dwell with Him. And that on that day, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Last, I want to leave you with a phrase to memorize, actually a few sentences to memorize, to carry with you as a daily reminder of God's sovereignty and power in all things. It comes to us from James Bryan Smith, the author of The Good and Beautiful God, a a book and an author who have been very influential in my life and several others here at ECC. I've put this quote in the Bible app. You can read it there and go over it. But let me just leave you with it here and invite you to repeat each phrase after I say it. First, I'm going to say it for you and then I'll invite you. I am one in whom Christ dwells and delights. I live in the strong and unshakable kingdom of God. The kingdom is not in trouble and neither am I. Repeat after me. I am one in whom Christ dwells and delights from home. I live in the strong and unshakable kingdom of God. The kingdom is not in trouble and neither am I. Okay, now all together. I am one in whom Christ dwells and delights. I live in the strong and unshakable kingdom of God. The kingdom is not in trouble and neither am I. Would you pray with me as we close? Father God, I thank you, not only that Christ Jesus has come to save us and deliver us from our sin, not only that he has taught us a new way to live and be in the world, but in him we see a very human example, though he was fully God and fully human. We see a very human example of what it means to entrust ourselves to you. God, I pray that you'd help us as we continue to walk this this way in these uncertain and anxious times, that we would walk, Lord, as a people of prayer and as a people of faith, that we would take our cue from the way Jesus comes to you in the Garden of Gethsemane. And God, we pray and we acknowledge and we stand firm in the hope that you will answer our prayers as you answer his, that you will be with us, that you will never leave us or forsake us. And that even, oh God, even if our future should end in death, we know it is followed by a resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen.